Hello, everyone. Welcome again to Talking Smack. We're talking superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. With me again this week is Alex Lasden. Hello, hello. Alex, welcome back. Oh, thank you. We missed you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Next week is going to be a pre-recorded episode with me and Lewis. We're going to be discussing our all-time favorite animated movies. For Lewis's sake, I left Moana off my list, only because I knew that would be create a really big fight between he and I, so... Um, we left that one out of it just because I didn't want to have to kick him out of my house while we were in the middle of recording. Well, as long as you can get a shout out to maybe Black Cauldron for me, that would be really appreciated. Uh, no, there's there's no Black Cauldron appearance in this one. Oh, man. Oh, well. We do have a good Avatar dig in there, too, so <laughs> that's what we call a tease in the biz. <laughs> so let's dive right into it. First things up in the news this week, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palamati are leaving Harley Quinn after this coming December's issue. So starting January or February, there will be a new writer on Harley Quinn for DC. And I'm completely off of that uh, off of that comic now. I've been really excited about their run and what they've been doing with it. Uh, their release stated that they had big plans and been um, organizing their thoughts and their storyline towards this ending because they want to take some time off. She wants to actually get back to um, full time drawing, not just writing, uh, not just drawing the covers and writing the scripts. And they wanted to take their actual honeymoon, which you know, which is nice for them. But I'm going to be out until I see some really good um, reviews come through for that comic because, as far as I consider it, she has made that product her own and has been the truest version since the animated series to be carried forward. We discussed this when Harley was celebrating her 25th birthday. Uh, the only thing that I really don't like from the Jimmy Palamati and Amanda Connor run is the bleached white skin. Everything else is, as you said, almost pitch perfect. Yeah, so, I mean, it's sad, but, you know, they've they've been um, doing this comic for about, what, two and a half years, three years, something like oh, that? Oh, geez, I think they've been doing it closer to four or five. I think yeah. it launched in 2012 or 2013. Oh, geez, has it been that long? I know they said it's like episode, I mean, not episode, issue 34, but they've renumbered like They've twice. renumbered three times. Three times, oh, okay. They've had three different number ones. <laughs> they had a rebirth number one, and then they had uh, a new number one, or not a rebirth, a new 52 number one, and then they went to a new number one after the new 52 line ended, and then they did another number one, I believe. Well, that sounds complicated. Perhaps they need a vacation from trying to remember that. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. I it, not that it matters. Maybe no. they only no, they only did two renumberings because the Harley Quinn one, the Harley Quinn book, was one of their more successful ones. So they didn't bother renumbering it because of that. Uh, but they have gone back to the original numbers, and Marvel's started to do this too, mm. where they've gone back to original numberings. Like Amazing Spider-Man just had issues seven eighty nine or seven eighty or something like that after having three number ones come out in the last four years. And people wonder why they're not reading comics. I picked up from issue one. Which issue one? The 2012s, 2014s, The New Rebirth, The Secret Wars, Secret War 3. <laughs> Which number one are you talking about? Yeah, Marvel has... They've been doing more seasons than anything, and it's kind of annoying just because it, it does kind of ruin the, the whole collector's thing. Mm -hmm. um, I do like that they're going back, but it also seems very fortuitous that they're coming back when... Captain America is about to hit issue 700. I think Thor is about to hit issue 700 as well. Spider-Man is about to hit issue 800. So all of a sudden they're going back to the large numbers when it's very fortuitous and a milestone number for them. 
And then uh, DC did the same thing with Rebirth. They brought uh, Action Comics and I believe the Detective Comics back up to their original numbers, which uh, I believe Action Comics was in the high 600s at that point. Same thing with Detective Comics. They were both they were both in that 680 to 690 range. Issue 700 is not too far off for those if they haven't already come to it. That just sounds even more complicated. <laughs> but I'm... Um... I'm hoping that after their um, vacation that uh, I can see them start writing and drawing something else. Because I've always loved Amanda Connor's ar- ar- art style just because she has a very good control over different facial expressions as well as creating different faces for each person. Like a lot of artists I've noticed only have maybe like a stock, like three or four guy faces that are very close to the same. And then, you know, really only notice that they're different because you're like, Oh, cause you recognize the character. And she is very good at that with not only her male faces, but her female faces. And I just am really drawn to her, um, her art style. So, yeah. And one of the things I love about her art is that, um, she draws women in a very believable way. They're not all sticks. Yeah. Uh, there's when she was drawing full time for Harley, or at least for the covers. Harley is a little thicker. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, she's supposed to be a, a gymnast, so she would be a little thinner. But you know, she hasn't been doing the gymnastics thing for a while. She's more or less been kind of lounging around, being a landlord for this apartment building <laughs> that she's been running in I this new run. And so she, you know, she's maybe she's going to be a little thicker. She's still fit, but yeah. she's she's not a twig. No, and she's more athletic, so she's obviously not going to be so thin. And I, I like that she makes them a more natural body type. Mm-hmm. Good wishes to her, and hopefully they return sometime in the new year with with a really good announcement of some new product from the two of them. Yeah, I know Jimmy's working on a, a new Kickstarter, which I think he does a biannual Kickstarter project. Uh, Amanda usually is involved in some way, whether it's story helping or doing covers. Uh, she doesn't do a lot with the artwork in those. They they do they do enough stuff to get by in it. They've been really heavy in the con circuit, even after cutting back a little bit in recent years. Good luck and good fortune to them. Hopefully, whoever DC is bringing on to write the new Harley Quinn does the character justice and makes an entertaining story. Moving on, we have Giovanni Ribisi returning to the Avatar sequels. This is very much a filler news sequence, news segment here. Yay! We'll see him in... Three, four, seven, and eight years. Yay. <laughs> He'll be there to putt more golf balls at you in 3D. That, exactly. That's really the only thing I remember him doing is saying the word unobtainium, which is like the worst MacGuffin name ever. And then he also putted the golf ball for right. the 3D effect at the camera. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, the very contrived... Okay, what we're here for is this piece of rock goes for 2.7 million a gram back on Earth. You know, it's like, like, oh, yeah, evil corporation. Got it, got it, got it, got it. All right, we're good. But, I mean, I like him as an actor. He's always amused me. And mostly these days I remember him from being the creepy guy in Ted and Ted 2. I still haven't seen Ted 2. It's actually, um, I understand that people didn't flock to it like they did the first one. Somehow the first one made 600 million worldwide. The second one, like, made half of that. It was still enjoyable. It was just, you know, it was just a good movie. You know, if you like, if you dig Seth MacFarlane, it's uh, obviously just one of his movies and carried the plot line forward in a different way than expected. But it's well worth watching, mostly because Giovanna Rivisi is back and he's really creepy again. <laughs> yeah, he's had a sneaky good and sneaky long career. Uh, I mean, he was in Cold Mountain. He played Phoebe's brother in Friends. 
He was in um, The Rum Diary. He was in Gone in 60 Seconds. He was in Boiler Room. He was in Saving Private Ryan. He was a medic. Gone 60 Seconds. Is he the brother that Nick Cage is trying to get out of trouble? Is that what his character was? Uh, Kip Reigns. I th- yeah, I think yeah. that's right. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Wow, that. good memory. Yep, yep. He's the screw-up little brother. I, can also, the, I know a lot of people think of him because he looks very similar to Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day. Right. And so I know a lot of people have some weird fascination with him as well he also has a 15 episode run on the wonder years as jeff billings i'm gonna have to rewatch that because i don't remember him on it at all no uh but yeah i mean he was in public enemies with johnny depp he also had another run in with johnny depp in the rum diary uh he's had a sneaky long and sneaky good career he's, he's not necessarily a a name actor but he finds good projects Oddly enough, I can actually think of two lines of his that I actually remember. It's the unobtainium line. And then the f- I think it's from the first episode he was in in uh, Friends when he's talking about like his life and career. He looks, he looks straight at, at Chandler and goes, I'm going to be a singer. And then he's like, oh, okay. And he's like, I got to keep it true to who I am. Hardcore gangster rap. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then he, he's all, I remember when Phoebe tells him that he's pregnant, he's like, my sister's going to have my baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, glad to see him, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I get around to seeing those movies. There's not really much you can say about it. Uh, <laughs> you weren't here when we were talking about Kate Winslet joining the, the cast or being confirmed as the cast as the character of Roland. That is clearly just a... She wants to work with James Cameron again. Move. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I was curious what your thoughts were. Do you think she's going to be a Navi, or do you think we're going off Pandora and moving to a different planet, and she'll be a different alien? Because I think with the name Roland, she's going to be an alien, unless that's her last name. I don't know. I'm. I just that she's going to be in the movie. I think elevates a little bit. Means. I mean, she obviously read the scripts, but then again, I think she also must have read the scripts for the Divergent series and liked them too. Um, or she just really wanted the payday. Well, that billion dollars has got to get cut up somehow. <laughs> it costs four movies and salaries. Um, yeah, she'll probably be an Avi of some kind. But it's really, I find kind of interesting, is at one point she had said, like early in career, that James Cameron was such a tyrant on set and he was so demanding she would never work with him again. And 20 years later, she's going to work with him again for four movies. <laughs> that we're aware of. Oh yeah, who knows sure. how many sequels James Cameron has? The Marvel Cinematic Universe is going strong at almost twenty movies. I can do that many for just Avatar. <laughs> oh God, no! <laughs> hey, you can get a lot of uh, propaganda out of that. I'm sure. I mean, he he did organize his schedule so that I think their movies are coming in twenty tw- uh, in 2020, 2021. Then it's twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five, and he's got to fit Terminator the reboot. Well, he's six. only a producer on that, so basically he's quality control. He can. Mm. Just kind of show up or take a look at a scene and be like, that doesn't work. Change well, that. Well, supposedly he's also helping craft the script. So, you know, so we'll see what happens there. But he has to figure something out. You know, he's got a very busy schedule making a movie every 10 years. Apparently, it's all now not a Talking Smack episode without some Avatar news as well as <laughs> Star Wars news, which don't worry, we're getting to it. The name of this episode is the one with all the trailers. So you can only imagine what we're getting to. Well, if you want, I can fill some time by reading this Avatar The Last Airbender The Promise book you have on your desk here. It's a comic, thank you. <laughs> I'll put it back down. <laughs> thank you. That's Derek's, so I got I to gotta take good care of that. Next thing we're going to talk about, well, next thing you're going to talk about, because I have no input on this, Lore, which just debuted on Amazon Prime this Friday the 13th. 
So fill us in on what this is. All right. Uh, so Lore is a podcast started about two years ago by a guy named Aaron Mankey, who, um, which goes into different types of folklore. Uh, he's kind of started, well, it, it is all horror-based in some kind of aspect, and it kind of started towards... Um, you know, vampires, werewolves, um, people being buried alive, and stories like that. Uh, he, they're all based on actual stories that have happened that he has, re- he and his re- researcher have dug up and looked at. And it's a very popular podcast. I think it gets around 5 million downloads a month, and he does it bi weekly. So he's up to, I think, 73 or 74 episodes by now. Um, he somehow was able to find his way into a deal in which he got well, at least one season out of Amazon. It's going to be it's six episode. It's six episodes. They picked six of his different scripts, and they did a kind of pseudo PBS History Channel, and they actually used to do history kind of look to it. Um, so he still narrates them and tells a story. But then there's live action reenactments. There's animation. There's um, there's historical footage from like different things that they've done. So almost like an unsolved mysteries kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of like that. And it actually is. I've watched the first four episodes. And it's still pretty good. It it's it's one of those shows where he doesn't judge. He's not saying like, "Well, this is all was eventually debunked." Okay, so the first episode was about the fear of being buried alive, and it was about this. It was about this uh, father in New England in the um, just before the turn of the nineteenth, uh, the twentieth century, where his family was being struck by tuberculosis. His wife had it a few years later. His uh, his eldest daughter got it. Then a few years after that, his son got it, but then they sent him away to Colorado and he got better. But in the time his son was gone, his other daughter got it and how the doctors were trying to treat them and they still called it consumption and that modern medicine wasn't working. So the people of that town began to believe that it was a spirit that had possessed a body and was coming back to attack them. So eventually what happens is they start digging up his family, even uh, kind of against his will, but they, um, because they believe that if they found the body that was preserved, the demon took that body and was using it to spread the plague back upon the family in town. And what happens is they eventually get to the newest daughter, but the, the doctor who was there explains, well, the reason why she looks fresh is it's winter. We've had her in the cold house because we haven't been able to bury her, and it's only been three months. But still, they cut her heart and liver out, they burn it, they make it into a tea, they give it to the sun, and the sun still dies a few months later. <laughs> um, but what happens there is that, you know, it was discovered, you know, it was kind of got out that all this old, these backwoods, um, these backwoods Massachusetts people with their weird beliefs about drinking tea and vampires and stuff like that. So um, he then tells other stories about being, about this was a time before uh, when people were still being buried alive, and that's where he, he had a... Uh, people who were selling these weird coffins where they left like a breathing tube up and a bell to ring or some or something so you could look down and see if the people were like two or three days later hey they woke up we had buried them but they're back awake and so that's the kind of stuff he tells and the the most recent episode now that i've remembered was about electroshock treatments and how uh electroshock mixed with um lobotomies and how that was applied to different families. Um, some prominent families were doing it, and this doctor who really believed it was an effective form of medicine, and how, uh, I forget his name, but he'd gone around around the U.S. and had done himself like 3,500 of them because he believed it was an effective form of treatment, and people got better from it, which some people did, but a lot of people died. And so he correlates that with our fears of the unknown, fears of how our mind works, and and basically 
what we do to each other in the name of good. And it's just a really interesting podcast. It kind of terrifies you. And Robert Patrick's in an episode, so that's good. I might have to give that one a shot. I'm not a huge horror fan, so that, that one definitely might have to go by the wayside for me, but I, I, I might give it a shot. It's not. He doesn't necessarily focus on horror. Like he's just more like what people have done to each other, and it's just kind of fascinating how that it's works. a real world yeah. horror. It's and not. He, it's not super necessarily supernatural. No, it's and he doesn't. Pa- that's another thing I like is that he never passes judgment or debunks anything. He's just more like this is the information we have, and this is what happened. It's no obvious like well we redug up the body, and it turns out that this person actually had leukemia or something. <laughs> something like that. It's just like these are these people's experiences, and was documented at that time. So yeah, that that's on Amazon Prime. I believe it debuted on Friday the thirteenth. Yep. Came out yesterday. Uh, the all all six episodes. They're quick watches. They average like his podcast. He tries to keep between twenty and thirty five minutes, and then the TV show with reenactments is around thirty to forty minutes. All right. Yeah. So that's lower on Amazon Prime. You can also find that on your podcasting service that you uh, subscribe to. I'm sure you can find it there too. Very cool stuff. Now, next thing we're going to talk about. As far as I'm concerned, ad nauseum, because (laughs) even mentioning this movie causes me a slight amount of reflux, the Gambit movie has been slated for Valentine's Day 2019. Yay! (laughs) It's back on the schedule. I'm excited. The Gambit movie that has been in production hell ever since they were trying to get it off the ground when X-Men Origins Wolverine came out has been slated once again it was originally supposed to be slated to come out this year in october so technically it's supposed to be coming out anytime now oh yeah anytime i've been waiting got my ticket purchased (laughs) and i i pass no judgment on anyone who's waiting for this movie but what is the deal with gambit i i don't get it the dude's a sexual predator i okay i only know him from um from the tv show and even there he's he's very creepy Rogue um, is Rogue has obviously some kind of thing for him, but I feel like it's more of a oh he wore me down sort of thing, not necessarily a oh he's cute and I think we have a lot in common. Let's get to know each other sort of thing. Uh, Gambit was never one of my favorite guys, just because I never understood. I well until the age of reason, I thought that the actual playing cards were actually his superpower, <laughs> not that he could you know put potential kinetic energy and stuff and make that. I always thought it was playing cards. I'm like, well, that sucks. What if he forgets a pack or he runs out? Several of the women in my life are telling me that they're excited for it because they really like Gambit, which I'm perfectly fine with them liking him. I think it has mostly to do with the accent. That's very, very likely. And, you know, he's French, but not. He's American. He's he's, He's Cajun. Yes, he's, he's American, but not. He's French, but not. And how this goes is I I can't think of a movie where he's done an accent, and the only real vivid did he do a country accent in Kingsman? I still haven't seen it, but he I think he has like that southern drawl. Oh my god, yeah! Wow, talk about how forgettable that movie was. It was really good, and I completely forgot he was in it. And he's also barely in it. <laughs> yeah, like from things I've heard, they should have uh, merged Oberyn Martell with Channing Tatum's character and given Channing Tatum more stuff to do, like. Oberyn Martell basically could have not not existed and it wouldn't have impacted anything as long as you brought Channing Tatum's character over with it. Oh, if they had merged it, yeah. Um, Yeah, because Jeff Bridges was in there more than he was and Channing Tatum was in it to get briefly yelled at. Then he went into a coma and then came got better. Um, He has that that fuck yeah line where... uh, 
Eggsy is just like, it's very American, isn't it? Yeah. And then you go, fuck yeah. Yeah, he, the, the majority of his role was, well, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, and not, it is very early in the movie, but he captures the Keensman when they come to ask him for help, and there's this very slightly too long, uncomfortable torture sequence where he's torturing um, Eggsy and Merlin. and Merlin. It's kind of almost creepily long because they're the good guys and we know that the that the statesmen are supposed to be the other good guys but they're but he's torturing them this is it was it went on just a little too long and then it's just like oh you know it's like oh good oh you guys are good guys okay we're good we're good and everybody's like yeah we're great and so it's like you guys took this very well <laughs> i mean he was about to light you on fire after like beating the hell out of you and electrocuting you but sure but he, yeah, you're right. He did a southern draw on it, but it wasn't like a pronounced one. It was more like a slight twangy, like Nashvilleian draw, maybe. You know, it was, it was just enough that like you're like, oh, you're from south somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I still haven't seen Kingsman. I've heard very, we'll say mediocre things. I don't even want to say mixed things. Uh, I still want to see it because I enjoy that universe. Um, I've heard a lot about it. One of my favorite podcasts that's not this podcast talked about it at length. And they talked about how it was very disappointing, but the universe still interests them. So I, I still want to see it, and obviously form my own opinion. I don't want to be one of those DC <laughs> fanboys that uh, you know I'm going to watch it and make my own opinion. Well, no shit, you should. <laughs> no but, one's saying you can't. Well, to put some good vibes out there, actually, it's not as good as the first one. It does take a bit of a step back, but I thought it was fairly enjoyable. It was just slightly forgettable it was i was more intrigued by what they would do with the third one versus what they did with the second one and maybe they'll have a, a new star trek sort of thing going where the odd ones are good and the even ones are bad yeah probably so yeah um gambit movie i'm probably gonna pass on it again unless i have to see it for this podcast even then, I might just take a, a day off that time of the year because I'll have a, a second kid with a birthday coming up around that time. So maybe uh, I'll just have to pass that off to you and someone else for that week. I'll be there. The two women in my life want to see Channing Tatum with a southern accent. Cajun accent. Cajun accent. Cajun correct, accent. Correct. So using Gambit as a transition tool, we're going to get into our main topic this week, which is trailers. And boy, were there a lot of high-profile trailers this week. We had, starting off with, the New Mutants trailer. And that's not the New Mutants trailer. That is <laughs> the movie that is called The New Mutants, which had a trailer. <laughs> I'm tentatively excited about it, mostly because it looks like Fox is allowing this director to do his own thing, which might start working for them if they're allowing this kind of director-genre-driven project. Did I say genre? Genre-driven project. Because we had Deadpool... You know, nothing genre snow. <laughs> oh, God. Because we had, Dead, we had Deadpool, which was very much its own product, and the Deadpool sequel hopefully continues to be its own product. We had, we had Logan, which was basically a... A Western. A Western cross-country movie. And who knows what the heck that Dark Phoenix is going to be. I'm assuming that's just going to be shit. Yeah, basically. (laughs) But now we have the New Mutants, which is supposed to be Um, Deadpool-ish. Fox movie uh, mutant universe. They um, because Ryan Reynolds has mentioned that like Deadpool and the New Mutants may eventually meet up in like Deadpool three, and so they're going to be more tied to him than what's going on with the traditional X Men. 
but it's a horror movie and i'm not sure that intrigues me or not it, it mostly kind of excites me that's like oh wow this is interesting bunch of kids with superpowers in a haunted asylum that's kind of intriguing yeah i watched this trailer and i was very unimpressed it just seemed very horror movie tropey to me without the word mutant being uttered in there i would have thought oh this is what they were trying to do with flatliners oh geez yeah has that come and gone already? Yeah, that had a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes for a while. <laughs> I think it jumped up to 8%. Yeah, the other than, you're right, other than mentioning mutants, they didn't seem to display any powers unless the kid on fire in a washing machine was a power. But I'm not so sure about that. I didn't see any obvious usage of some kind of mutant ability. I mean, there was no, there, no one was flying. No one was casting fireworks out of their hands or anything like that. You got to see... <laughs> I don't think Jubilee would be a good option for a horror movie. <laughs> that would be actually kind of awesome. Like, oh no, the dark is coming out. Fireworks! Fireworks from my fingertips, everybody. <laughs> I mean, it would be a great comedic moment, and it would be a very good slap in the face to uh, some of the people that really hate Jubilee. You want a horror movie? We're going to put Jubilee front and center. And then, of course, if you have the the, the token scene in the horror movie, which is mandated of them in the rain. She's already got her rain slicker on. <laughs> She's prepared for her movie. She's got rain slickers and fireworks. Darkness and rain have nothing on her. We were looking this up before we recorded, and the cast is interesting, I guess we'll say. Maisie Williams is obviously the headliner uh, from Game of Thrones. She plays Arya. She's playing Rain Sinclair, a.k.a. Wolfsbane. And Wolfsbane, for those of you that don't know, in the comics is a Scottish mutant, she possesses the ability to transform into a wolf, hence the very unoriginal name Wolfsbane. She has honed her powers to shift between human and wolf characteristics, but must keep her feral instincts at bay when she does. So, I mean, that that creates a nice little American werewolf in London sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that becomes her ability, she, you know, she's going to be able to transform, and all of a sudden she's, she's like the Hulk in Avengers where... He loses control and he's just a rage ball chasing after everyone and everything. Right. So, you know, that that could that could work. And then there's also Anya Taylor Joy, who's playing Ileana Rasputin, also known as Magic, also known as the sister to Colossus Peter. Uh I think he's I think he's Rasputin. I can't remember now. Yeah. Uh so she her abilities are she in in the Marvel Comics universe, she's essentially like the third or second or third greatest magician. Well, third or fourth, third or fourth greatest magician in the Marvel comic universe. Number one is Stephen Strange. Number two is actually Doctor Doom. If you didn't know, if mm, anything right. happens to Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom becomes the new Sorcerer Supreme. We got to make that happen. He's already been Iron Man. Why not make him the new Doctor Strange? So she's going to be in there. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they translate her powers. And then Charlie Heaton is playing Cannonball. And let's pull up his Wikipedia page here. Cannonball is a mutant who uses the ability to fly fly at jet speeds while encased in an impenetrable force field. So think Negasonic Team Warhead from Deadpool, but he's also encased in in a protective field. He's not just able to, like, bolt forward and plow into someone. Where I think Negasonic Teenage Warhead is... I think she's just really dense, which is why she's able to do that, plus burst herself forward, unless they just never touch on it. But her powers are very different from her powers in the comic, so it's not like it actually matters, and it's Fox, so it's probably going to be anywhere between average to bad. <laughs> so I take it you were not impressed by the trailer? 
I, I really was not. Uh, I'm not a horror movie fan, but again, it felt like it was, it was very tropey to me. Do much, but it's a teaser trailer, so it's not really going to give you much, especially for something that's supposed to be a horror movie. You want to get people in there for the scares. You don't necessarily want to get them in there for the story, which it looks like to me the story might be more of a uh, sucker punch. Yeah. It could end up being very sucker punchy, but with horror elements instead of anime elements. Well, you're not turning me off from that because I actually am one of the few people in the world who actually likes Sucker Punch. <laughs> I just didn't get it. And the director does nothing for me either. The director is the guy who did The Fault in Our Stars, which... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that's that one. That's the cancer movie? Yeah, John Green, who yeah. I briefly really liked as an internet personality and now I don't really like. I, I enjoy most of his movies, or not movies, I enjoy a lot of his books. Um, I really enjoy An Abundance of Catherines. Uh, I think Looking for Alaska is one of my favorite books by him. The Faults in Our Stars is, I don't think that was a very good movie to adapt. I think it was just going more for the, the tearjerker sort mm-hmm. of thing, mm-hmm. which a lot of John Green books don't have a, a real happy ending. They have more of a life lesson. So I'm, the, the director doesn't do much for me, but again, Maybe he just hasn't found his niche, which this could be his niche. You never know. It's it's interesting enough. Um, some other people that are showing up in there. Henry Zaga is showing up as Robert DaCosta, also known as Sunspot, who's kind of a human torch kind of character. And that's, that's all that's really notable in there as far as mutants. I'll still probably end up seeing this one just because it's, it's a Fox X-Men movie, so it's either going to be, like I said, decent to really good or really bad. It, to me, it looks different enough. I'm going to wait to see a second trailer because it just has... A, I'm just excited that Fox is giving a little bit of leeway other than every X-Men movie or X-Men universe movie must have the world is being destroyed. And a bunch of kids running around a mental asylum with superpowers could be intriguing. Especially, you know, if one of them turns out to be a witch, one of them turns out to be from the 80s, one of them turns out to be a faceless assassin... Oh, you know? yeah, that kid in the mask. that That's one thing we wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah, that There's was There's a spot in the trailer where some kid's wearing a really weird, not necessarily a happy face mask or a ghost face mask, but it's like a really weird oval with eye slits, and then he's got a fate, like a smile or a, a mouth on it, and he rips it off, and they immediately cut to someone screaming as he rips off the mask. And I really want to know what's under that mask. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. that's, that's probably the number one intrigue I have for that movie. And in my head, I just think of it as... Uh, as that episode of South Park where the Canadian has the bag over his head and he's the ugliest Canadian ever. Oh, yeah. And they lift the bag over his head and he just looks like every other Canadian. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're going to lift the bag and it's going to be Liam Hemsworth. <laughs> Johnny Depp. <laughs> That's who it's going to be. Lift the mask and turns out it's been Johnny Depp this entire time. Or Josh Gad. Oh, yep. Yep. There you go. <laughs> Josh Gad's in everything now. We don't really need to rate these. I, I'm. For the, especially for the two that are coming up. Uh, for this one, I'm going to go pass. I really don't think I need to see this one, but I, I probably will just because I want to be able to talk about it. If I didn't have this podcast, I would probably say pass. No, I'll go see it. It looks interesting enough, and hopefully there's enough mutants and enough ties that if there is a sequel or they are building these characters up to be part of the Deadpool-verse of the Fox universe, that makes a lot of sense. Oh god! What if it actually ends with like Deadpool showing up and like out of the that last like Thursday, ruin the entire mood of the movie. Everybody's like depressed. There's you know the, the asylums burned down. A few of the kids are unfortunately dead. They're recovering from this horrific incident, and he walks up and goes, "Hey guys!" There's this really great fan made after credits scene for Logan, 
I honestly thought it was legitimate for a minute because the the Deadpool suit that they got was on point. Like mm-hmm. it just looked great. Uh, it's it's an an add on credit scene for Logan, and again, it's a fan made thing where they have Deadpool walk up with a shovel, his Hello Kitty backpack, and a syringe full of that mutant juice <laughs> yeah. that they have in Logan. And he's just like, we're not getting out of this team up yet, you beautiful bastard. And he starts digging Logan out of his grave so he can give him the juice and wake him up. And I was just like, that would have been great. That would have been a great way to say maybe Hugh Jackman's not done, but he actually is. Yeah, that would have been fantastic. So my actual hope for Deadpool, well, it won't happen in Deadpool 2, but Deadpool 3, my actual hope, and I'm hoping that somebody has heard this and actually does it, is that Deadpool is in trouble. He's like, you know, he's alone. The other mutants are in danger. It's not a world event, you know, world destructive event, but it's something is going on. And he needs Wolverine. He's like, Wolverine's the only one who can get me. So they show him hop in a plane. He goes to Hollywood. He goes to a big house and he kidnaps Hugh Jackman. <laughs> and he like, and Hugh Jackman, you know, keeps his Australian accent. Hugh Jackman plays himself. But Deadpool is so meta. He's like, no, you're Wolverine. He's like, what no i'm not he's like you've been playing wolverine for 17 he's like i don't do that you know and then he get, like he pulls from the like he pulls the prop claws out of his hand, out of his bag makes you know forces hugh jackman at gunpoint to get in the the cab with them forces him to wear the prop claws brings him back they go to fight the bad guy hugh jackman is just freaked out and like pissing himself in fear they go to fight the bad guy and hugh jackman just immediately gets killed <laughs> i would love to see that that would be amazing <laughs> It's just a throwaway, like, seven-minute segment of, like... Which is perfect for Deadpool. Which would be which would be fantastic, you know? And and then the entire, like, end fight, Hugh Jackman's body's on the floor, and, and Deadpool's like, Get up! You're gonna heal! It's gonna be fine! And, you know, just yelling at him, trying to, like, encourage him. And then the throwaway <laughs> line at the end is, Huh, I guess he really is done with Wolverine. Oh, that... W- there we go. <laughs> All right, we're getting on a plane. We're going to Hollywood. We're going to go outside of uh, Fox Studios. Simon Kinberg wouldn't allow it. It's not grounded enough. <laughs> Oh, we could pitch this. It could work. Simon Kinberg, the guy who's directing and writing the Dark Phoenix movie, but is like, we don't want to put it too, we don't want to make it too spacey. <laughs> and not Kevin Spacey, like outer spacey. <laughs> Kevin Spacey, the president of the United States in the, in the Dark Phoenix universe. That'd be amazing. <laughs> it would be. But yeah, all right, there we go. That's perfect. There we go. There we have your final battle for Deadpool three. Um, random Russian oil tycoon. There well, you Ryan go. Reynolds has been doing Deadpool for years. I mean, uh, they're they're already working on a uh, X Force movie with right. Deadpool, and you know that that's obviously not going to be a Deadpool solo movie. But Ryan Reynolds is so in love with that character, and people love the character enough that as long as the gimmick lasts, they're going to milk that thing for all it's worth. Well, we give them ten minutes for Deadpool three. <laughs> they just need to write another eighty, and we're great. Justice League trailer. This one really didn't need to happen. It just basically was like, look, the heroes are smiling. I'm slightly more interested in this trailer versus the last seven we've had from them. It's starting to get a little Spider-Man 3E with me where every trailer has a slightly different tone to it and focuses on a slightly different aspect, even though there's only one bad guy. There were some shots I really liked. There was this weird moment where the Batmobile is driving down this road and they had the, of course, gratuitous um, zoom up on the shell casings bouncing out of the Batmobile as the Batman 
who does not kill proceeds to murder lots and lots of innocent people. But there was all these... He doesn't murder humans. <laughs> He's murdering parademons. There's a difference. And truck drivers. While also using a gun. <laughs> Don't forget, he does murder truck drivers. But there's this glorious shot where there's like fire and there's a shell casing. There's these purple orb ridge rock things coming through. And I'm like, well, it's actually a lovely shot. They're obviously trying to really hard to set up that at least two people have fun in this universe. Um, Flash, who has bumbly fun, and uh, and runs, and his whole thing is running, but he trips over a stair or a step. <laughs> well, steps get to people. I mean, have you ever tried a stairmaster? You eventually fall down. But I mean, the whole thing with the Flash is that, at least in the comics, he perceives time completely differently. There's actually a really great moment in the TV show where they kind of talk about that. It's early on in season, I think they're on season four now, so it would be in season three, where he has like. 60 seconds left in his day and it's just dragging because of how he perceives time because of how fast he moves and he's just like a, a second feels like an hour to me yeah there's a i've seen some comic panels that else they've also played into that where like they're arguing about how to defeat somebody and he just and he starts rubbing his head and they're asking what's wrong and he's like to me, this conversation has gone on for a decade, or it's something like that. It's yeah. like he's talking about how like the beats between responses to him feels like an eternity sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. there's a really cool thing. It's it's been in the the trailers ever since the very first one was X, before Zack Snyder got replaced, uh, where he kind of like he activates the speed force, mm-hmm. which I think that's a really cool concept that he can just kind of turn it on. And then he can just live within this fast world that he can move in and out of. Obviously, we don't know if that's what the case is, but I think it's a it's a really cool shot and a really cool concept where you see the lightning strike and all of a sudden everything moves slowly around him, but he's moving really fast. I th- that's probably the most intriguing part of the character to me. I'm not a huge fan of Ezra Miller. I think he's obviously the point of view character for this movie because he's being brought into this brand new. He's he's even saying, I haven't been doing this very long. Even though in like Suicide Squad, he's super cocky about capturing Captain Boomerang. Right. You know, he shows up and he's just like, hey, I'm the Flash. You know me. But he, apparently he's not been doing it that long. Uh, but he's obviously the point of view character. And he's going to be the guy the audience connects with the most because of this. But I really think this movie, especially this trailer is really trying to get people to be like, man, Aquaman's amazing. <laughs> he is amazing. He, he is. I'm not doubting that. He, but. he can swim. And I still want to know how, but somehow he is in the air, throws his trident, gets picked up because he's falling, gets uh, caught by Cyborg. Then Cyborg like re-throws him. He somehow re-grabs his trident, throws it again, pierces somebody, and then lands on the Batmobile at full speed and does his trademark. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Well, don't, for, don't forget with the uh, the cyborg <laughs> moment, too. You know, he's just like, we're not done yet. And then he goes, my man. <laughs> that, that part is great, too. I really, really hope that that character is, is as fun as the trailer is trying to make him to be. And is not, it is not just comes off as bro, douchey, horrible. Because, like, I, I think they're going to paint him yeah. more of a, I think it's going to be a little bit of a bro douche. Because in that trailer, he also says, you know, strongest man is strongest alone. You ever hear that saying? Yeah. And Batman goes, no, that's the opposite <laughs> of the saying. And I think they're they're going to paint him kind of as this, like, loner douche guy. But in reality, he you know, he, he probably does want to be part of something bigger. I think that's what's going to lead into Aquaman, his solo movie, where he, you know, he's going to be the reluctant ruler, but he knows that 
being a ruler means more than looking out for yourself, and that's going to be a, a growing situation for him. I hope. I hope they don't go that route because um, in the Suicide Squad, there was like Jai Courtney was I think it was the I don't know the nineteenth trailer where like he like cracks up in the beer while they're in the middle of a fight, and I was like laughing. I'm like, well, oh, Jai Courtney is actually interesting, and then of course in the movie he's not. But you know, so I'm really hoping that. Uh, they don't do that with Aquaman. That that they keep him kind of this front, this fun fish out of water. <laughs> I don't know why I said <laughs> kind of you know guy, and that he's you know a little macho, but kind of fun and seems to enjoy war. That's one of the things I like about the that they occasionally he enjoys the fight. Yeah, which I actually really like the few times in um, the Thor movies where they allow Thor to fight. Um, and, and actually kind of focus on him not losing, but he's actually having fun. Like, um, getting a floor two when they beat those rock creatures, he was like having fun. And that's one of my favorite parts about the first Avengers movie is the Hulk Thor fight because Thor is excited the entire time. He's just, he's not having to hold back. He's with somebody who's on his own level and he's just enjoying himself in the fight while they're destroying the helicarry, you know, and that's one of my favorite things. So I'm hoping that they, that because it looks like there's a crap ton of combat that they're focused that they have that in there as well for Aquaman. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think I think Aquaman is going to steal the show. Uh, while the Flash is the point of view character, I think Aquaman is going to be the real com- comedic relief because, you know, in the, in the San Diego Comic-Con trailer, there's that moment where I think they're on the roof of GCPD when they're answering the bat signal and he sh- Aquaman shows up in his full armor and he's like, dress up like a bat. I can dig it. <laughs> yeah, I think they're good. giving him all the one-liners. Like oh, yeah. everyone's gonna have like their own moment, just like right. in Avengers. Uh, but I think Aquaman's gonna. They're they're trying to make Aquaman everyone's favorite. Yeah, and like Aquaman's been an amazing character for decades. Mm-hmm. It's just because people associate him with the Super Friends cartoon that they're like Aquaman stinks. He talks to fish. He doesn't talk to fish. He commands fish. <laughs> they're too dumb to carry on a conversation. <laughs> And as as bad as the new Fifty Two Justice League run was, um, Jeff Johns I think did a really good job at least with the origin issues. I think it was the first five or six issues, where again they're they're trying really hard to make Aquaman badass, mm-hmm. and for the most part it actually kind of works. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a there's a the moment when Aquaman shows up, the the city I think it's Central City or maybe it's Metropolis. I think it's Central City because it's a Bay City is getting attacked by parademons. It's basically what this movie is, except they're replacing Darkseid with Steppenwolf, which we'll get to Steppenwolf in a second. Uh, But in the comic, Aquaman shows up, he hops out of the water, and he does the superhero landing, looks up, and he says, who's in charge? I vote me. (laughs) And then Green Lantern, who in the New 52 is just this smarmy, Nathan Fillion smartass, but not funny, because they're trying to make him seem kind of more douchey Mm -hmm. than anything. Uh, he's like, who the hell are you? What are you supposed to do? And then Aquaman turns around, raises his hands, and like three or four sharks, great white sharks, just like pop out of the water and eat a bunch of parademons. <laughs> and everyone's just like, holy shit. So yeah, I, th- I think that it's kind of, it's drawing from the Jeff Johns thing because Jeff Johns has to stroke his own ego. I mean, the first Flash movie that we're getting in this DC universe is Flashpoint, which Jeff Johns was in charge of. That's a different story for another day. Uh, we're going to talk about the uh, state of the DC universe after Justice League and when we talk about the Justice League movie. Makes so we'll, we'll have the Justice League review the week it comes out, and then we'll have the state of the, the DC extended universe or whatever they call their movie universe the week after the Justice League review. 
But getting back onto the Justice League movie, Steppenwolf looks just like Ares from Wonder Woman. Like he, it looks like they just recycled that thing and just instead of making him gray, they made him gold. Yeah, it just didn't do anything for me. I mean, you had to point him out. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that actually is the bad guy. And there's you know a palette swap joy. Did Parademon's faceless enemy mow down three thousand? You know, that's all we get. No, uh, you know, <clears throat> any big movie like this, this is what we're gonna get is just. Copy paste. Let them destroy a few hundred of them. Let them get overwhelmed briefly, and we'll you know worry about the big bad at the end eventually. They obviously are teasing that Wonder Woman is. I mean, not Wonder Woman. That Lois Lane is still pining for Superman, and that chemistry they have together. And is he in? He's got to be dead. That's a super awkward <laughs> chemistry that they have. It it really is. I love Amy Adams. She's yes. adorable. I really like Henry Cavill. I think he could be a really good Superman if they made a really good Superman script. But among other things, they take the joy out of Superman. The first time we get a smiling Superman is in a dream sequence for Lois Lane where he the guy stands super awkwardly <laughs> and he's like, I'll take that as a yes. Turn, smile, stick out my butt. <laughs> That's really weird. Not when you pointed that out, I'm like, that is a weird pose he has there. It's like no one gave him proper blocking. They're like, okay, you're gonna turn and face her, and you just rotated his, you know, you're gonna, you're his gonna upper stand, body. You're gonna stand and then face. You're gonna t- stand, turn to your side, and then face her. Okay, how far do I turn? Whatever, just do what feels <laughs> natural. Can I stick my butt out? That, that I like doing that. Okay, sure, why not? And he keeps his like right hand, like right arm across his body like he's trying to like hide like a pregnancy belly because like he has like four layers of shirt because of course you have to have like the white undershirt you have to have a shirt you have to have like a I know, warmer I shirt he, he doesn't have the no, no but then he has a flannel an open he's flannel. got the flannel but he's got the chest hair coming out because they, they went with the hairy chest superman oh did they uh, they, they got to show where he had a few of them and then he has how like, else the do you know across. he's superman in this universe without the hairy chest that's oh, true i mean they even have a little bit of chest hair coming out of his uh through the his flannel. costume no it's through the flannel yeah that too <laughs> Uh, but again, the first time we, we get a smiling Superman in, in this entire universe is in a dream sequence where he's dead. I don't know. I mean, and, uh, it's it's the worst kept secret that he's coming back. The only the only thing that we don't know is, does he come back as a brainwashed villain or is he going to just magically appear in the Batcave? Because in the San Diego Comic-Con trailer... Uh, at the end, there's a moment where Alfred is talking to someone, and he's like, he said you'd come. Uh, hopefully it's not too late. And if you turn up the brightness a little bit, you can see on the shoulder it's a red cape. So obviously it's Superman. You can see that they're doing tonal shifts, that they're trying to focus on spreading it out, the love for everybody. I'm kind of curious about the, the battle with the Amazonians. I'm wondering if that's like a back-in-time kind of thing, where they had battled them long before and suppressed this enemy, you know, to give context to Wonder Woman emerging and being here for this new threat and what that means. And Cyborg's there for some reason. That's the only thing that's kind of annoying me a little bit is that they haven't yet given Cyborg some kind of spotlight. I don't know if that's because they're not done with his... They're still not done with his CGI because it still looks really weird and really bad in places. Or they just actually... Or he's going to be given the short shift for this um, for this movie because there's not been a focus on him or an explanation for him or something other than there's a robot dude running around. Well, the explanation was kind of revealed in Dawn of Justice where... You see um, the guy who created Cyberdyne in Terminator 2. I forget his name. He plays uh, Dr. I forget his first name. Dr. Stone, who is Victor Stone's dad. Victor Stone is, of course, Cyborg. 
And Victor, as you see in Dawn of Justice, is literally just a torso hanging on a wall. And he, Dr. Stone uses a, a mother box to, as like a last resort to save him, and it merges with him, and that's what creates him. But we are going to get an origin story, because there are shots in the first trailer where you see him not as cyborg. So we're going to get some kind of backstory about what happened to him, what caused him to be just a torso, mm. and then... Uh, what his connection with the mother box is. No. Uh, there's also a really weird shot in the new trailer where he has a uh, some kind of display going on in between his hands, yeah. which makes no sense except for visualization for the audience because as a cyborg, he would have a heads-up display that would give him that same information. So unless he's planning on sharing that information, it makes no sense. But DC is also not known for making their sense. And to kind of go off of what you're talking about with his CGI not looking very finished... We ran into that same problem with Dawn of Justice. That movie was literally done for about a year and a half before it actually released. And there were still moments in the the money fight where Batman's suit just looked awful. Oh, yeah. It just... You would think they would have more time to make that look better. I mean, there, there's obviously shots where you're just like, we can get by with this. Mm-hmm. Just because of monetary restraints or putting the money somewhere else into a different shot. But yeah, there's there's some stuff that's definitely going to bother me because it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, I'm just hoping that there this is not the finished product, but we got maybe five weeks until it's released, so we'll see what happens with that. All right, now moving on to the steak of our steak and potatoes here this week. Uh, the Star Wars The Last Jedi, I don't want to say it's the story trailer because it really didn't reveal much about the story. Uh, trailer 2 uh, for The Last Jedi there's not that's going to get me much more excited than I already am for this movie. So the trailer is just more wetting my appetite. It's just kind of keeping me sane while waiting for December 14th when the advanced screenings start happening. It reveals some things. I don't think it reveals enough to be really considered a spoiler other than the Finn and Phasma fight. Because there's a lot of destruction going on in the background there. And we already have been, have, we have already been told that... Uh, I think her name is Rose. There's a new character uh, that Finn's teaming up with for this movie. Uh, Her name is Rose. I forget who she's played by. I'll have to look that up here. Uh, But Finn and Rose go on this adventure together where they're going to destroy a First Order installation, which is pretty obvious they succeed in this mission because there's a lot of destruction going on in the background of this Phasma fight. Yeah, I've been kind of ambivalent about the last two... um... Well, the last two Star Wars movies. Um, I the long the further I get away from the Force Awakens, the more I it just doesn't do anything for me, and it's sour, really even more sour. As the Rogue One I thought was it was decent but unneeded. It was just they were trying to plug a plot hole that's not really a plot hole, and they may have actually taken away from it a little bit. I do hope that this one is better. I mean, I'm hoping that this one is a solid movie that actually expands the lore that expands that that expands the characters that gives me some kind of context as to what this new world is that they're actually trying to defend like why are they fighting who's fighting who why is this important for us to give it to us to give a damn about but at the same time kind of wondering if the joking comparisons that this is one is going to rip off empire strikes back is true because there is a 
ice planet <laughs> and there's ice creatures you know there's these adorable little w- ice wolves with these little cool manes that are, are i guess the cute new tauntauns maybe you know that they're the new toys we're gonna have these ice dire wolves and then there's the porg which are adorable i need a squeeze toy that when i squeeze it it makes that sound because that was a really cute sound you know and they're obviously doing the whole well somebody's getting trained probably going to show both their training of kylo ren and um Ray. And Ray, thank you. I was wanting to call her Rose because you kept saying Rose. I'm like, that's not her name. It's with yeah. an R, though. Rose is the character played by Kelly Marie Tran. I was trying oh, okay. to, I was looking her up. Kelly Marie Tran plays Rose, who's going to go off on their own side adventure with Finn. Right. And she's supposed to have a fairly large role because I think she's supposed to be um, Finn's BFF for this, right? Yep. Yeah. And so then you have, you know, obviously they're going through training, which happens in Empire Strikes Back. But then there's some kind of battle towards the end where maybe somebody gets captured because they kind of hinted with that with it looks like Ray is being force paralyzed electrocuted she's putting maybe. under some kind of stress with uh by snoke yeah by and snoke. you can pretty clearly tell it's snoke because he's got his gold robe going on in the right. background and so you know and it's obviously going to end on some kind of downer note to prepare us for the third one i'm assuming somebody's probably going to die whether that's leia or luke would or not be luke i think they've already confirmed that leia's not coming back for the third one so i'm assuming they're changing something in this story right. to make it leia that won't be back i swear to god if he actually does kill leia i'm gonna be pissed that's got to be a red herring right i mean he's sitting the kylo ren crying in the ship while preparing to press I, the blaster i think it's supposed to show more of the fact that he's still not when he kills Han Solo, he's he's supposed to have a clear path on the dark side. His 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 decision to kill his father is supposed to be made uh, is supposed to make his path to the dark side more straight. Right. Where obviously, I think by him destroying the mask shows that he's still struggling with his humanity and his his light side or his good side, whatever you want to call it. So I think the fact that he's not running around with his mask is showing that internal conflict that's still going on. Right, but I mean, what I'm saying is that the way the trailer sits it up, it looks like he there's some kind of space battle going on. Leia's on the command bridge. He his he's targeting where she is. I'm assuming that's not the shot. I'm assuming that it's not him like conflicted and then he presses the missiles and she dies because that was yeah because really... they do hold on his hand and um, it looks like he's maybe not necessarily struggling to hit it, but it looks like he's he's thinking about not hitting right. it. If you're going with parallels, that could be a very similar moment to the Han Solo death mm-hmm. where. There's that shot where he he and Han are shaking, struggling to pull the lightsaber out of each other's right. hands. And so I think that could be a similar parallel where he's struggling with the decision of, I'm going to kill my mother. And then, right. you know, but I, I don't think they would put that in the trailer if, no, no. if, it, if it were that moment. What, um, what I'm and I, don't, I don't think they would. Sorry to interrupt. No, I, I don't think they would put Leia out like that. I think that would be a... Uh, a real injustice to the character unless she unless she does something super heroic before then i don't think like unless she's like the last person on that bridge which i think in that shot you she is not no there's unless she's the only person on that ship and she just evacuated everyone i don't think there's any reason to think that's her death moment yeah i'm hoping it's not i mean because from what the producer said is that the First movie was supposed to be Han. The second movie was supposed to be Luke. The third, the third movie was supposed to be all around Leia. So obviously she makes it out of this movie in theory, unless they went back and edited something. But then they said they weren't going to do any CGI because that would be disrespectful to her. So, so I'm assuming she doesn't die. I just hope Luke doesn't die because I really want to see Luke go off on somebody and just see what his force powers can be with 40 years of CGI behind him. You know. <laughs> definitely what is is the most powerful jedi ever what can he do when he decides to wreck things 
Yeah, there's there's some things in there that maybe Luke is more reluctant to use the Force because of what he's seen with Kylo Ren. It looks like we're going back to see what happened to his Jedi Temple that Kylo Ren destroyed. Uh, whether it's through a flashback or a Force vision, there, something's going to be made a little more clear in this movie, it looks like. Uh, we see the shot where he like falls to his knees in front of the burning building, and mm-hmm. obviously that's after Kylo Ren destroys his his school. There's also that shot we were discussing when we were watching the trailer again a little bit ago, where Ray comes out of this pool of water, and Luke is all dressed in black, and he's like, this isn't going to go how you think it's going mm-hmm. to go, or this isn't going to end how you think it's going to. And I think that's going to be a parallel to the Vader thing in the, the tree on Dagobah. Right. Where I think that's going to be a dark side vision of Luke for Rey, where she's going to see what he could become if she doesn't do something. And I think that's what's going to send, set her off to go get Snoke, is that I think she realizes that Luke needs to find a way to redeem Kylo Ren hmm. or Ben Solo in this scenario, because obviously if he's Ben Solo, he's on the light side. So... I think that might be what sets her off is maybe not necessarily Luke refusing to train her, but she's going to try and save Luke by trying to redeem Kylo Ren. Huh. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, we still don't know what this is about. The only thing that really bothered me about the trailer was why the heck is is Captain Phasma and Finn having a sword fight? And and, I mean, they're both stormtroopers. Why aren't they just blasting at each other? That's that just kind of bothers me because it, because I, I wonder if if they're thinking they're trying to make it up to him in some way because they really they hid that Ray was supposed to be a force user until the movie even though we all kind of suspected that and so the only scene you saw is he had the lightsaber at one point and he did fight with the lightsaber twice in the in the Force Awakens so I'm wondering if they're giving him this is like hey you get another lightsaber fight kind of with the big baddie who's supposed to be as bad and awesome as Boba Fett is because that's what we're doing here with a chrome trooper but i don't know uh that just that don't, that just bothered me because i'm like why they both have blasters they they both are stormtroopers i mean maybe they're going to shock us by having them f- fire their blasters completely miss each other run out of power and have to actually go to fisticuffs well we don't know like you said we don't know anything what's yeah. going on maybe those are the only two weapons that are available to them maybe uh, Rose knocks the the blaster out of Phasma's hands as so all they have is the the batons and the the fight stick or whatever it is. Um, the idea of that electric baton makes sense in mm-hmm. a world where Jedi exist because oh, yeah. if you have a blaster, they can just deflect those blaster shots. Oh yeah. So having the baton makes it a hand to hand combat. So as long as you're training well enough, despite the fact that they have a lightsaber, mm-hmm. you could technically survive the fight. Whereas if you have a blaster, you're basically trying to play the range game, but you're also kind of out of luck unless you can get someone to flank them from the other side. Oh, yeah, no, the the, the weapon itself doesn't bother me because the whole history of the vibro swords and um, stuff from Star Wars lore. And also, it kind of makes me excited about it because um, in The Force Awakens, where that guy screams traitor and he, you know, whips out the sword, uh, whips out the baton thing, it's like. That makes sense because the you know the Jedi had been gone for twenty something years. They would have fallen into disuse. But if Luke's back and Luke's training people, and even though and everyone knows Luke is missing, so they don't know is Luke missing training a bunch of secret Jedi and going to come back with the Jedi army. So they have to be prepared mm-hmm. for him. And that excited me when I saw that because I'm like, oh, that's cool, man. You know that that it makes contextually sense. That gives a little bit about this world. Why would stormtroopers be running around having this? At least one dude in the middle, in the in, in the brigade has to have this weapon and be on, and on it, and so 
I mean, I'm excited. I mean, I like that, and I'm not questioning that. I'm just questioning why Cin- too cinematically. Strong it makes yeah. cinematically it also makes more sense, and it makes it more personal if it's fisticuffs oh, yeah. mm-hmm. instead of you know a range fight between blasters because you could basically just hide behind a a box for however long and just kind of keep firing a shot, and it's it's not visually very interesting. No. It's the same reason why you know in a lot of movies you have people like. The Lord of the Rings does it really well where you have two magic users while they're they're still really physically close together during the fight mm-hmm. they're using their magic so it still makes it visually interesting instead of it oh, being the, uh, between Gandalf and Saruman oh that uh yeah the wizard fight in the first one yeah yep and that that makes it visually interesting because among other things they're close together and mm-hmm. they have to be within sight to be able to manipulate each other whereas in like Harry Potter they pretty much have to be they're just it's a range fight. They're just right. flicking their wrists and yelling words. And it's not visually interesting until you put in the Ghostbuster lights and you have the, the really weird, like, slime dissolving of, of the, the wands hitting right. each other, which is a very cool effect. Oh, I love that effect. But until they started doing that sort of thing, the, the wizard fights were not very interesting, have at you, least visually. Have you seen the behind, uh, was it behind the scenes footage of uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2? Or, uh, no, no, this is fantastic. You you should look it up. It's hysterical because they have the Hogwarts, um, the Hogwarts group running at the um, the Death Eaters group, and their course in the movie. This is very dramatic because there's music and there's light, and you see the spells going off, and they're flying at each other, and there's explosions, all kinds of stuff happening. But then behind the scenes is just two groups of people running at each other, flicking their wrists and like shouting. And it looks like they're preparing for a flash mob. It's so funny. My favorite Harry Potter parody is uh, how it should have ended for Deathly Hallows Part 2. I think they open it up with a shot of Voldemort holding out his wand and saying, I'm going to defeat you, Harry. I'm pointing my wand at you as hard as I can. It's just—it's it, a great moment and a great line of dialogue from Dan Baxter and his people because yeah. again, it visually it looks ridiculous until you add in the special effects. Yeah, just like um, uh, Elizabeth Olsen, she talks about like being on the set of the Avengers of Scarlet Witch and stuff like that. She has a person who trains her in the movements as to what they're supposed to represent and how she's supposed to do them. And then she's like, "It's a lot of trust involved because." I just do all these like weird shaky motions and make faces and I have no clue what they're doing with the CGI. And so they actually showed like a, a clip of her like doing the, that motion. And then off to the side is a, off to the side is Jeremy Renner. And he's just looking over like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> because of course there's no Scarlet powers. Yeah, and that, like she, like you said, um, it, it is a lot of trust in the the post production people, especially in a Star Wars movie, is very integral. Like the the Simon Pegg cameo character, the guy who's uh, in charge of dealing out the portions in the Force Awakens, mm-hmm. that character probably looked completely ridiculous in the standard uh, practical suit. Like yeah. I'm sure the mouth didn't move right. Now obvi- they CGI'd the face, but everything else about that costume was practical. You're right, and uh, I'm sure if, if if they actually, if they didn't have just like a, a tennis ball or something there for a reference for the computer, I'm sure if they actually had a, a motion mouth or something, I'm sure it just looked awful. Yeah. Or it, it looked like a beaker from the Muppets. <laughs> but there's still a lot of really cool stuff. Speaking of practical mm-hmm. things, the the new AT-ATs, whatever they're called, the ATPTs or whatever. Yeah, who knows? Uh, I'm sure some Star Wars nerd out there knows. Uh, I'm not that big of a nerd to investigate all of these 
vehicle names. Those look really cool, and they, they make sense as far as some of the things. Because, again, we're talking about how they have batons for mm -hmm. uh, ground troops who might encounter a Jedi. Uh, you have these new AT... I'm going to continue to call them AT-ATs. They I don't are. Care. <laughs> or all-terrain vehicles, whatever you want to call them. Uh, walkers. We'll call them walkers. Yeah. They have these new walkers that they have wire cutters built into these uh, kind of like grommet sort of paddings that they have on the, I guess we'll say the shin of the, the legs. Yeah, shin guards. Yeah. And it, it makes sense after finding out that for whatever reason, wrapping a wire around them and making them fall weakens the hull for some reason. Makes uh, <clears throat> makes sense because someone, you know they're going to do that. They're going to yep. do that in the movie. They wouldn't put that in there without having it become a visual aesthetic in the movie. Like, oh, snap, they can't do that anymore because yeah. the general audience isn't going to know. So they're going to have someone try and do the wire wrap and then it's going to get snipped and, yep. you know, it's going to break free. That that makes sense, and you know it shows that the Empire is learning. They thought they would figure, take away two legs, and it'll yeah. be fine. We, we'll be able to beat some teddy bears. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, visually it looks interesting. I do like the, the color palettes that they're using, and and I am going to be there opening weekend, you know, watching it. I'm wanting, I'm, I'm my without knowing any of the story, and just you know, because that's what a trailer is, just get you hyped for it. I'm just cautiously guarded that. That uh, hoping that they're going to give me what I want, which is an ex more of an explanation as to what the actual stakes are. Why should I care about this? What is, you know? Why should what I care about What does the it? destruction yeah, of the yeah, New Republic yeah, yeah. homeworlds do? Yeah, did that do anything? Do they even reference it? You know, I think that was one of my biggest uh, letdowns for the Force Awakens. Is it did little to establish the new universe, or yeah. the new the new world order of the universe, new universe order, whatever. I'm reading the Star Wars Aftermath Life Debt book. Which I believe the first aftermath mo uh, movie book deals more into the uh, the building of the new republic, but I've not heard really good things about it, so I just kind of skipped it and I moved on to life debt. And it is talking a lot more about the construction of the new republic and the the balance of power that's shifting. The empire is now kind of becoming the new rebellion. They're not relegating. They're also fractured. Hux's dad, uh, Donald Gleason's character, Bill uh, Weasley. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, his his dad makes an appearance in the book, and I, I'm probably only about a third of the way through it, so I don't know everything that's going on yet. But there, it, it's doing more for the world building. I'm just like, I wish they would have given me more information about this sort of thing in in the new in the Force Awakens, because all the race stuff and getting her out there, you could have taken the the 10 to 15 minutes you had in the Wrath Tar scene. And right. use that in the beginning of the movie and establish how the new galaxy is shaped, mm -hmm. what the First Order is, how much power the First Order has. Because as far as I can tell, it seems like half the galaxy is First Order, half the galaxy is New Republic. It's kind of a Civil War sort of situation. And leaving the movie theater, all I got out of it was like, the Empire rebranded. Okay, cool. Under new leadership. That's nice. They put they just put a new sign out front in front of a um Corellia. And we're like, hey, listen, we're all good here, we're all good. <laughs> Everything's perfectly fine. And maybe the entirety of the resistance became the new republic on those five planets that got blown up. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and um, like we we don't know the significance at all of those planets that were blown up unless you read any of the added material, which yeah. At that time, I didn't want to. Uh, no. Thanks to Star Wars Rebels, I've been diving more into the expanded universe. But also thanks to Star Wars Rebels, which I, I, I'm not knocking the show. I'm super excited for this final season. I have gotten tired of the bridge in between episodes three and four. Mm. That time period has no interest to me because it, all it is 
is the empire gaining more power and the resistance building or the rebellion building larger yeah that's that's all it is and you can only tell so many stories out of there right and same thing with the clone wars the clone wars uh i read dark disciple recently and i talked about this with derek but i'm just going to touch on it again really quick where the main characters you have are obi-wan kenobi yoda asajj ventress from the clone wars show and count dooku and a relatively newer character um oh dang it i'm blanking on his name quinlan voss uh, Quinlan Voss is a Jedi who is seduced by the dark side because he is manipulated by Ventress to dig into the dark side because that's the only way they're going to defeat Dooku. Well, this takes place during the Clone Wars. So mm-hmm. I know Obi-Wan makes it. I know Yoda makes it. Yep. I know Dooku makes it. Yep. And they also talk about General Grievous briefly. I know Grievous makes it. Mm-hmm. So I have Ventress and Voss who are the main characters of the story. But I really kind of already know... <laughs> w- 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 like there, there's no real stakes to the story no. other than these two characters and they do a really good job of making you care about them and making the story actually matter as far as those two characters are concerned but it doesn't matter in the long run like no. that that story is completely superfluous right it's a nice story but it doesn't matter because it doesn't impact any outcome because there's a whole other movie that happens after this exactly. that impacts everything and that's kind of where I am. So, like, the, the Clone Wars stuff is nice, especially if you can break away from the, the primary characters of Obi-Wan, Anakin, uh, Yoda, you know, use different characters. Like, Mace Windu would be a fine character to bridge instead of using Yoda. Flush him out a little bit more instead of making him that stoic Sam Jackson that no one wants. <laughs> uh, build that character a little bit more while also introducing new characters. Because stories of the battles of the Clone War can still be interesting. Oh, yeah. Because among other things, if you're using characters people aren't familiar with, you can build stakes and you can make people invested, even though you know in the long run the Clone Wars is going to end with the revelation that the Empire is now there. And so that's why I'm, I have almost zero excitement for the Han Solo movies, because they're going to set it between three and four, and I know Han lives, I know... Chewie lives. I know Lando lives, and and I don't really need a backstory of what the heck they were palling around doing right before he decided to end up in Mos Eisley. I know, I know Jabba the Hutt. He works for Jabba the Hutt, you know, and he's gonna dump some cargo because Jabba's gonna get, you know, he's gonna get pissed at with Jabba, and they're gonna have that conflict. That you know, we're starting to hear that he may be a mission against the Empire. That he may be doing the Kessel Run. The rumor is that James Earl Jones was called back to do voice work as Vader, and it's like you're focusing on a character we know lives and a bunch of characters we know live. What are the stakes? What's interesting? Why am I supposed to be intrigued by the motions that you're going to force me to go through over two hours with this movie? And that's what made the the third act to Rogue One work is because yeah. they didn't necessarily make us care about these characters other than K2SO. But we didn't know the fate of these characters, no, so we, we wanted to know, like, oh man, there's a shield over this planet. Are they get, how do they get off? Oh, they're not getting off. Well, how do they get to the planet? The planet's yeah. to the Death Star. Oh, that's how they get. Well, then how do how did the Death Star get to Leia? That's how. Like, oh my God! Like yeah. that, that last third of that movie mm-hmm. is fantastic. Oh, yeah. it's. I still really wish I could have seen. It was Gareth Edwards, right? Mm-hmm. Who did that one? I really wish we could have seen his cut of the movie. Yeah, I need to. One of these days when I'm really bored, I have to remind myself to go back into Wikipedia and look at the plot outline that leaked out on the Thursday before the movie came out. Because the, because I remember reading the plot outline because I don't care about movie spoilers. I, I read the plot. It was detailed. It was like six paragraphs. And I read that. 
the plot outline, and then I saw the movie the next day, and I was like, that is completely different. I went back and it was completely edited. And then all the leaks started coming out about what the original plot was, what the original third act was, how that went, all that stuff. And it was completely different than than uh, what we got. Mm-hmm. And that plot was... Everybody still died, but it was just completely different how everybody died. It was very much a... Um, uh, last stand kind of death where everybody's just being killed off little by little as they're carrying forth the plans and the, um, the robot and the the rebel agent they Cassian. like yeah casting they are end up they end up having to hole up in this bunker and defend the bunker that she's broadcasting it from and then they end up dying and they're trying to pierce the wall and she ends up actually and the, what I remember is that the Death Star to try to stop the plans from being from being transmitted to 100% completion fires and blows up the bunker and wipes out the planet that wipes up part of the planet that way but the transmission had finished and so it was was very much you know the last stand kind of like every guy is being killed off little by little by little by little until you're bracing in that moment of like well we know she's gonna get the plans off but is she gonna get off the planet and then the death star fires blows her up the transmission had been done yeah, yeah, I'm I'm calling this. Uh, we know there's a third solo movie, not not Han solo movie. <laughs> right. There's a third standalone Star Wars movie coming out. Uh, we don't mm. know if it's going to be Boba Fett. We don't know if it's going to be Obi Wan. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be Yoda. We don't know what it's going to be. But I'm calling this the plot hole trilogy, regardless, <laughs> because it seems like that's all they're doing is filling in the plot holes. I guarantee you, this Han Solo movie is strictly trying to fill in the plot hole of. A parsec is a measure of distance, not a time oh, God. frame. I guarantee you, that's what it's going to be. It's going to uh, it's going to fill in the gap of what the castle run is. I hope not. I really do. Uh, and then whatever else is going on is going to be fluff. It's but the main focus is going to be what does this universe consider a parsec? I w- okay. So if this is the plot hole trilogy, that means they're going to use because the rumor was is that they were going to have the Boba Fett movie be between three and four, which I would actually like. Because he was in seven, he's not in eight. If it, I'm sorry, not between three and four, between six and seven, which I would like because that would help establish the world and what's going on. And and in a world where the empire is falling, the rebellions trying to reestablish the republic, a bounty hunter would be useful for either side. That could be interesting, and that, and that would also help explain some of the world building. But what we're going to get in your plot hole trilogy is the Obi Wan Kenobi movie. And what was he doing between three and four? And I guarantee you, they're going to you know I understand he's in uh, the rebels. They're going to do something about what the heck he's doing on Tatooine, and I would love it if, if uh, Lucasfilm had the gall to have him sitting on Tatooine for two hours just staring through binoculars, seeing what Luke's doing. <laughs> Goes back to his hut, makes a little soup, eats it, practices his uh, sand people scream, roar. <laughs> Goes back out there, sits binoculars, watch Luke's, watches Luke grow up. Maybe cut in some like random because it's gonna be live action because uh, Ewan McGregor's old enough. He looks, you know, he's a part. He's starting to look more like that age. Cut back, maybe intersplice some like, um, have him reference things. He's like, oh, I gotta go off planet. Comes back. Oh, that was interesting with whatever character I did this from from Rebels. Goes back, makes like a taco. <laughs> looks at the binoculars again. No. <laughs> <laughs> That would be a fantastic movie. <laughs> it's not a plot hole, though, that Obi-Wan was watching over Luke. I think the plot hole would be, at some point, Obi-Wan clearly has to go to Uncle Lars, Uncle Owen, yeah, and say, hey, would it be cool if I just kind of hung out with Luke? Because <laughs> there's a, a spot in A New Hope where Obi-Wan says, your uncle didn't want you to have this, but you'd follow old Obi-Wan on some damn fool idealistic oh, adventure sure. like your father. 
And so obviously there's some point where Obi-Wan's going a little stir-crazy and says, can I take Luke to town or something? Uh, or can I teach him about the Force? And Owen's going to just put his foot down and go, nope. Oh, that's right. And there's also that, because Luke mentions like, oh, I wonder if the old Ben can be. Oh, yeah, because it sounds like he peripherally knows him. Oh, there we go. Passes him in most Eisley while he's picking up like some little soup packets. <laughs> they start chit-chatting for five minutes. I just had a great idea. What if it's this? <laughs> What if it's Obi-Wan and Uncle Owen going on an adventure? Oh, my God. And that's what makes Uncle Owen say, Luke is never doing this shit. They go off on some adventure together, and he's basically 3PO just throwing fits about everything. Oh, that would be fantastic. Just like, what are we doing? I'm a farmer. Oh, and because we have to tie it in together for some reason... At one point, they have to hijack a ship. It's the Falcon. Because you have to, you have have to some, shoehorn in the Falcon. You have to shoehorn the Falcon. Well, <laughs> but then that creates a new, uh, new plot hole unless the Falcon's been stolen from Han. Cause no, 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 no. Because this is before Luke's like a teenager. So Lando doesn't have it yet. So this is before Lando gets it. No, Lando, Lando had it. You mean Han. Um, Sorry, no, yeah, no, I mean... So no, this, is, this, is, this is... No, what it would be is that this would be before Lando ends up with it, which means it was before Han gets it. So this is the owner before Lando <laughs> is Obi-Wan. I think, I think we stick with Han Solo being the pilot. It takes place after the Han Solo solo movie. Oh, okay, here we go. Chewie clearly knows Obi-Wan. Oh, because right. if you remember in A New Hope, they're in the cantina, and Obi-Wan goes off, and he just has a nice little casual conversation with this Wookiee. Oh, no he's going to walk up to a Wookiee and be like, hey, buddy, how's it going? Well, that's right, and he and, and Chewie leads him over. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Because so he goes you, and approaches maybe Chewie. Maybe Han is kidnapped mm. or something, or Han's being held by the huts, mm. and Chewie's like, hey, I need help, and mm-hmm. Yoda maybe is like, I know Chewbacca, you guys can go do that, but... I doubt that will actually ever happen because okay, it seems would... like Disney is pretty much avoiding any references to the original trilogy or the, the prequel trilogy outside of referencing clones really briefly in The Force Awakens. But this has me actually excited for an Obi-Wan movie. I, like I actually love this idea because this is like the whole like Luke's like, uh, you know, um, this, is a, this is a great idea because we now have why he's so angry about it. He's like, no, you're you. Because I can see it now. Like, for some reason, he, like, tosses him, like, um, uh, Anakin's lightsaber. Like, here, use this to defend yourself. I'll be right back. <laughs> and he, like, turns it on, but, like, almost takes his foot out because he's, like, unsure how to handle it. <laughs> and then he's just like, no, that old man is crazy. Stay with him. <laughs> yeah, it makes it, it would make it more apparent why he is very much against this because i mean obviously he knows what a jedi is right but he he wouldn't have any idea like what luke would really be getting into other than the fact that the empire would be hunting him by being a force user yeah. so i i think that i think that would still make a very fun movie because again it, you have the not to this extreme but you would have bruce willis and chris tucker and fifth element kind oh, yeah. of thing where you have the 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 chiseled veteran mm-hmm. who has seen it all before and he's just like oh yeah we'll we'll get through this you know and then you have Uncle Owen, who is going to just be Chris Tucker underneath the the cocktail cart, screaming uh, at the top of his lungs. Well, here's the thing, is that we have to have Aunt Rue in there briefly, because Aunt Rue has that really weird, when you look at the entire trilogy, that weird, wistful moment of like, he has so much of his father in him. It's like... His father was a psychopathic murderer. You do realize that. You know? Yeah, they only met him for like a day and a half. He, right. And in that day and a half, he murdered an entire village of sand people. And she and got yelled kid- about how hate how much he hates sand. And he and she got kids out of it. Well, a kid out of it somehow. So that she has to be involved in somehow or like 
like, he has to pour some blue milk when they discuss the yeah they discuss like they're like he's like freaked out obi-wan's calming him down they're like listen all right cool and she's just like wow this sounds like a great time you guys had <laughs> it's like and you ran into who uh vader oh okay how's anakin doing fine <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much of his father in him <laughs> I like this idea. It's a great idea. Simon Kimberg will shoot it down. It's not grounded <laughs> enough. Two movies to pitch, man. We got we got a solid ten to fifteen of Deadpool three, and we got a solid Obi Wan pitch. All right. So to surmise all of this, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars. <laughs> Talking about Star Wars. Uh, so I guess we're gonna call it a wrap. There, we we went off on a huge tangent, but. Long story short, we're going to do a, this, a similar thing with just, uh, Star Wars that we're doing with Justice League, where uh, we're going to do a just a big Justice League review. I want like three of our three or four of our guys that have been helping on this show uh, talking about this movie, and hopefully it doesn't get too out of hand because having that many people with a microphone in front of them can get a little disorienting. So hopefully we aren't talking over each other too much. No. And then we're going to also talk about the state of the Star Wars universe, where we're going, where we think we're going. It'll be a fun time. We're coming up on some really good movie times. And uh, once Star Wars comes out, we're not too far away from Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's right. Mm-hmm. There's there's some good stuff coming up. So we're going to have a lot of really great content for you coming up here. Uh, Alex, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, your point of view is always appreciated and your time is always appreciated. So thanks again for coming back. Oh, you're welcome. And everyone, thanks again for listening. Your time is very appreciated as well. I know you can listen to a bunch of different podcasts, but we appreciate your time and your effort to listen to us. You can always find us on Facebook and YouTube, Talking Smack. Smack is spelled S-M-A-C. You can follow us on Twitter at Talking Smack Pod. And you can email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. You can follow me at on Twitter at Josh underscore Scar. Scar is spelled S-K-A-A-R. And Alex is not very social media inclined, so you won't be able to find him anywhere because nope. he's a hermit. Exactly. Like Obi-Wan. <laughs> I guess I, that would make me his Uncle Owen. <laughs> and with that, I think... Uh, the theme music this week, we uh, decided to throw back a little bit. We're going to the theme music we used in episode one. And we had a remix done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. So enjoy this. And cue that theme music. <laughs>